0: Hi there, it's Melvin. Just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Thryzer for supporting this month's podcast sessions. Thryzer is a payment platform that you have to check out if you are a private pay therapist and accepting out-of-network benefits. It basically helps clients save on therapy upfront. front. Thryzer can help verify Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hey, it's Melvin. Before we jump into today's podcast session, just wanted to take a moment to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking the time to listen to this podcast and taking the time out of your day to listen You know, when I launched this podcast back in 2015, it was done with a lot of fear and a lot of uncertainty, and I just never realized the impact that it would have on so many. And uh, for that, I'm just so humbled and so grateful If you do find the podcast helpful, if you could do a small favor for me, which is to subscribe to the Selling the Couch podcast, the best way to do that is to go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash listen and subscribe on your favorite channel and on your favorite device. Practically, this allows the podcast to be able to Reach more people uh, for us to increase our download numbers, which also helps us to land bigger guests so that we can serve you through these guest interviews. Have a wonderful day, and I hope that you enjoy today's session. Hello, hello. Welcome to session 293 of Selling the Couch. I hope that you are doing awesome and having a good day. So, today's podcast conversation. Is a topic that I know many of us have navigated or are currently navigating or will navigate, which is increasing fees with existing clients. I wanted to have this conversation because I, one, I saw this conversation happening in a lot of online communities of therapists, just the anxiety and the struggle this whole process brings up. And for this conversation, I reached out to Kelly and Miranda from Zinimi. They're good friends, private practice coaches. I was actually part of their business boot camp a number of years ago. Learned a ton of stuff and continue to learn things. You know, we we touched base and one of the things that I was like really looking forward to this conversation, just to think about things. I, I think, you know, as for most of us, as I am, like I'm a wounded healer and I have my own history around money and worth and all of these kind of things. And I was one, looking forward to this conversation just for me to grow as a person. And then I was secondly, looking forward to this conversation to share it with you guys so that we can just start to think about these things a little bit differently. So we're going to cover a number of different things. The first thing is this idea that, you know, we're betraying our client by increasing our fees on them. And what are some of the ways to work through that? And then we actually get into the nitty gritty of how to communicate that with the client. So there's like an idea of like sending a letter. And if you send a letter, what what do you put in the letter? When do you send the letter? I.e. do you send it before the actual therapy session? Do you send it after? What are the pros and cons of that? We're covering all of that stuff in today's conversation. And then we wrap up with just some simple scripts or simple phrases that you can say during the session so that you can stay on track and then also just be clear but also do it in a way that is affirming the clients and does not cause an abandonment to our clients because I know that's something that a lot of us fear so we'll get right to today's podcast conversation here is my conversation with Kelly Higdon and Miranda Palmer from Zinimi launching an online course, you can check out that workshop over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course workshop. Again, that's sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course workshop. Hey, Kelly Miranda, welcome back to Selling the Couch.
1: It's been a bit. Hello. Hi, Melvin.
0: <laughs> it has been a bit. You know, it's it's amazing. One, I feel like this pandemic has I don't know, just blurred of how fast and slow yeah. and all of those time kind of passes, right? But yes. yeah, it has been it's been quite a while since we've connected, but I really am just grateful for this conversation. Grateful it always makes me happy when we get to all connect. So
2: love it too. Us too.
0: We are talking about a a conversation or a topic that I think intimidates a lot of clinicians, which is increasing fees with existing clients. It brings up a lot of internal stuff for clinicians. It brings up a lot of practical external stuff to factor and uh, really excited for this conversation and just to pick y'all's brains on on what to do and what not to do. Maybe the more important thing is what not to do.
2: I'm excited about this topic too. You know, we were just talking with someone else today about how impactful fees are. That idea that making like little small changes can have such a big impact on a private practice. And so sometimes people have reached out to us talking about, you know, I want a multiple stream of another stream of income. I want to go be on the couch. I need to launch a course. I need to do something because I need to bring in more money into my practice. And I'll sometimes say something like, hey, do you want, like, I've got a, another stream of income. Ten to maybe thirty thousand dollars a year. You won't have to do any more marketing. You won't have to do any more landing pages. No more websites. or so no nothing else. But like, and it'll be pure profit. Like, how's that sound? They're like, awesome. I'm like, cool. Charge everyone the fee that you said you would, and stop sliding like crazy for everybody. And so, even that idea that if you're seeing about twenty clients a week, about fifty weeks a year. On average, every $10 that you're dropping down, it adds up to $10,000 of profit in your business.
0: Wow. So that's crazy.
2: I think this conversation is so powerful, but it oh. also, for the people who are maybe even not even at a place to raise your fee, if your fee is $130, but if on average, you're only collecting hundred, dollars This doesn't happen by having one or two sliding scale slots. This happens from like a global piece. If we can globally say like, no, this really is my fee and I'm going to charge it consistently, it can make a huge difference to the bottom line and to your ability to sustain in this work and to avoid burnout and everything else that we want for our clients.
1: I think one of the things that comes up for people when when they think about raising their fee is a lot of issues around their own value and worth. I really encourage people to step away from a dollar amount being tied to their value. It's something that we talk about in our boot camp of how people aren't, you know, that kind of harkens back to slavery where we put a dollar amount on a person. You're priceless. This work is priceless, but there's a cost to doing the business and there's a cost to living your life. And that's what your fee needs to be based on, not your worth. Because if we do that, we'll be charging infinity amounts of money if that ever existed. So a lot of people are like, oh, I need another certification. or Oh, I haven't had enough experience. When we know that the longer that someone's been a clinician, the more likely that their outcomes, they have a higher attrition rate in their outcomes. So actually, people who are new to the field tend to do better with their outcomes than people who have been in the field a long time. And yet we were taught, well, wait till you're certified, wait till you're supervisor, wait till you've done this 10 years. You know, all this kind of value stuff that gets brought up when thinking about raising a fee.
0: Hey there. I hope that you're enjoying today's podcast session. So I've, you know, jumped back into private practice and I decided to go the private pay route. And one of the things I've been thinking a lot about is how do I tap into outer network benefits for clients that might want to use it? Now, the common sort of perspective or tip that a lot of folks say is just to provide a super bill for clients, but the reality is I feel like most clients aren't going to go take a super bill and then call the insurance company and then deal with that whole mess of trying to communicate with the insurance companies and waiting on reimbursement and all of that kind of stuff, right? And then at some point, especially if they're keenly aware of budget and stuff like that, they're like, oh my gosh... I may not be able to afford working with this therapist and all of those kind of things, right? Thri- this is where Thrizer comes in. And the really cool thing with Thrizer is that they will actually float the clients for the sessions. So basically, when you sign up for Thryzer, you can automatically submit out-of-network claims for your clients. It's simply done through an app. It literally takes seconds. And Thryzer takes care of all of the insurance stress. So we don't have to deal with it as clinicians. Our clients don't have to deal with it. And clients just pay what they owe for, si- uh, for actual sessions, i.e. like the difference between your rate and the reimbursement rate in order to skip the long insurance wait. All they have to do is pay the standard 3% credit card fee. There is no monthly contracts or fees or anything like that. If you would like to try out Thryzer, you can go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thrizer. enter the promo code STC so that your first $2,500 in fees are waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, and Thrizer is spelled T-H-R-I-Z-E-R, and enter the promo code STC. Yeah, it's a lot of mixed messaging. It's extremely confusing because I remember even even just being, you know, like in grad school doing practicum and even coming out, like I had some of those very similar thoughts around charging my worth, feeling like I needed to get a certain amount of training, feeling like I needed to have my sea legs in the profession, a couple of number, you know, a certain number of years. And yeah, it's, it is, it's a lot of, a lot of interesting messaging. I'm really glad that you guys are like thinking that thinking about that and bringing that up. So (laughs) You know, the other thing I think that really resonated for me is, you know, if you look at any one session, and I think this happens for so many folks, it's easy to rationalize a 10 or a $20 sliding because it's just like, oh, it's $10, $20. But it's that cumulative thing, right, that most people don't realize, right? And that's what really adds up. And I love how you highlighted that.
2: I think the other thing that really relates to that fee raise conversation that we're having today is that if you don't feel confident charging the fee that you're charging right now and you're sliding down all over the place, then the idea of raising it up seems even more like ridiculous to Mm -hmm. your brain because you haven't gotten into that habit of this is the resource that's needed. This is the fee across the board. And ethically, the idea that like if all your clients are in a room together and they're like, well, how much do you pay for therapy? And everyone gave a different number. What does that really look like and feel like clinically? How does that impact a client? What does that look like if somebody was to come in and actually like audit your business and say, well, what is your fee? And you say, well, it's this. And you're like, but nobody pays that or everybody pays a different number. How did you calculate this number? And to say, well, I just guessed and people said what they could pay, that's actually something in many of our ethical codes that says that we don't do that, that we're clear about the rate that we charge before people come in and that we're fair across the board and how we charge it, that it's not something that someone who has the privilege of asking for a discount pays less than someone who doesn't have that privilege or that skill yet and asking for what they need. Right. Like it's an interesting thing that I I remember having the experience with a surgeon that was calling me who was coming in for couples therapy with another surgeon. And they were very pressing me about doing a discount. And I said, do you have financial need? And they said, no. (laughs) And but for probably seven minutes, this person asked me in 17 different ways whether I could give them a discount until I just started laughing. And I just said, I'm happy to refer you out but like this is this is a ridiculous conversation like you either want to do work with me or you don't There's but a, this is the fee period
1: that's the thing if you had all your clients in a room together and they all said what they uh charged or what they were charged would you feel good about it would you feel that you knew why someone had a slide that you had a process in place that removed bias that created equity normally Typically, individual practice owners, smaller group practices, are not equipped to do the kind of assessment needed to remove bias and create equity for any kind of slide. And so, I think some of the reasons why people get stuck at raising the fee—they're ashamed about it, of of saying, "Gosh, I've been raising my fee for all these new clients, and I haven't been facing this or dealing with it." And I think some of the not dealing with it has been. Supported by us having more electronic payment um, because it's happening and we're not really aware of it. Because I remember in grad school, I feel like I'm going to age myself, but (laughs) that's totally fine. But I remember talking about how the actual physical transaction of a money or check during the session was part of the work and how that was something there. It's symbolic, it's metaphorical, it can be interpreted, it could be used as something to talk about the relationship. And then when we took it out of the session and we, we had it going in the background automated, then it's no longer in our faces and it's no longer an awareness that we have. And so then we're making these decisions and not staying intentional in the other relationships where those decisions were made before that maybe need to be revisited again.
0: Yeah. I mean, you never sort of, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, all of this, like automation, it is really fascinating because I remember the same thing, like in grad school, I, that's what I learned too, like how important talking about money was, right? In session. And yeah, if I never talked about, about money. That.
1: What are we not also? Yeah.
0: Talking? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Very valid point. And yeah, just sort of how, know. I think the one thing that was coming up for me is like in this world of automation and all of these things that we can now do, right. But to be mindful of, The repercussions and the implications of that, and more important, like Kelly, to your point of what then what are the conversations we're avoiding as a result of that automation?
2: Mm -hmm. And I think this goes back to you know we're talking about the conversation of raising fees, and one of the questions that we get asked a lot is like, well, can I just email a letter to my client and that be the way that they that way I don't have to talk about? They just get a notice in the mail, and then as long as they don't ask about it, you know, maybe the notice says something like, you know, let me know if you have any questions, but we're just not going to talk about it. Cause I don't want to use their session time for this. That is definitely not what we recommend.
1: I mean, I've seen that done in doctor's offices and things like that, but I really do feel like therapy is this different kind of relationship and it's an opportunity for a corrective experience.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, to that point, I think that's a really good one. And maybe we can sort of dive in a little bit deeper. So, I mean, what is y'all's recommendation is, does a letter need to be sent or it does a conversation need to be had with a client? And then is it a follow-up letter? Like, I don't know what, how would you guys think about that whole process?
1: Yeah. Well, one of the things that we recommend is you do create a letter, but you have the conversation and session first, and then you hand the letter to them. But of course, if we're virtual, we're going to email it because it's, I see it as like a transitional object. Imagine when you get news, like, And you're a little overwhelmed and maybe emotions are being stirred. You may not remember everything. And so the letter is to help that person continue to process after the session with clarity about like what your fee is now, what your fee will be, when that start date is, what are the options, you know, for moving forward. And so I recommend having that conversation in the session with follow-up after.
0: Yeah, and I love the fact that you call it a transitional object because yeah, I think I mean it's such a good way of looking at it, right? Because I I would have I mean, I'm almost putting myself in the shoes of a client like particularly if it's like a, you know, fairly significant fee increase or something or any increase, right? To get a letter and then to feel like, oh crap, like I got to have this conversation now, you know, versus like having the conversation and then, you know, getting that sort of like this is a token right? This is a reminder of that conversation that feels very different.
1: And It's a very clear boundary of like, I want to be sure that you remember, this is very important. I've drafted this. So that way you can hold on to it. So it's very clear. Yeah. I
2: think the other piece too about that letter is notice that she wasn't describing a letter where it says, Hey, my expenses have changed over the last several years insurance isn't reimbursing what they used to. My rent has gone up Tiny the cost counts. of business. I'm going to create this whole narrative about my experience and put that on the client, right? It's going to say something like, Hey, in an annual review of my business, determine that my new fee starting the date will be this or, currently,
1: or if they've been charging that fee and now it's time it said I have had this new fee since X date and we haven't talked about it, <laughs> you know, like, and so your fee will now increase to the fee that all my other clients are at. Yeah. And I think
2: sometimes, too, you know, one of the pieces there, again, here's the the fee, here's the date. And if it is a significant increase, maybe you've been ignoring this for a long time. Maybe this is someone that has been with you for year, for years. They've come with you from internship or, or practicum, I've, I've heard this where it's like, oh, I've been seeing this person for 10 years. They're, they're paying $25 a session. They're paying $10 a session. I've worked with people who where they're like, I have a full session, like a full caseload of 30 people. And they were not able to like pay their rent because the, the fees were so incredibly low. Right. So to be able to have a shift and say, if you are going to have a step up process, Sometimes it makes sense to do that. You know, in three months, it would be at this and three months, it'll be at this and three months will be at that. But sometimes we've created dynamics where there's not even room for that. It's because it is so low, the amount of time it would take to get that person to a fee that's really workable. And if you are in a financial situation where maybe there are therapists right now who are making decisions between defaulting on their house or not having a place to live and all these other things, medications and other pieces. Like we need to really own what we need as a resource. And if we cannot continue to provide sliding scale slots, we need to say, hey, I've determined that we have about 12 weeks left where I can continue to offer you this very low fee slot. In my heart of hearts, you know, you can eat I think it's okay to say like in my heart of hearts, I wish that this is something that I could offer for the rest of your life. And that's not actually like
1: accurate. I think it's a privilege to be able to do step programs for your clients. Not everyone Mm -hmm. is in that scenario. And I feel that there is a need for us to be honest with our clients because our clients want therapists that are going to be in practice for a while. They want therapists who are attentive and can give them great care. And when you are stressed out and you're not making rent or, you know, think life happens. Like sometimes we've had this where we've had clinicians like a spouse passes and they're left with a lot of debt or other things and they have to quickly make shifts you know, the ther- the therapist needs to be in their best place to serve those clients. And in order to do that, they got to be honest about what that takes and honesty with themselves and then an honesty with the client.
0: Yeah. And I think it's like wonderful modeling of boundaries, right? Like for, for clients, right? Well, I imagine
1: being it. in a relationship where nothing mm-hmm. ever changes. Mm-hmm. How do we get this idea that we have to have the same schedule, the same fee, and be the same person the whole time. That's just not real because I know that as I would get training, as things in my life would happen, I would grow as a clinician and I'm going to bring that into the room. Well, we are setting people up for unrealistic expectations in their relationships if we never make a change because then they're going to go into their marriage. They're going to go into their parenting relationship or friendships and say, you changed. I don't know how to cope with that. And that's what we're most fearful of, right, is making a change. But then we're there to align with the client and say, let me help you process this change, to make sense of it, to do change differently with someone who's like, I'm okay if you're mad at me. It's okay. I can ha- I'm here. I'm going to stick with you while you navigate what it means when someone changes a dynamic in a relationship. Yeah. Be able to navigate that
2: idea of, hey, there are options. We could complete our work together in the next little bit and actually have a real goodbye instead of just I say stringing along clients. There's a lot of people who like, it's just, well, this is just something I do like going to the dentist twice a year. I go to therapy once a week or once a month and there's not significant progress being made. That's against our ethical codes, guys. These are the pieces where we go with well, a client says it's valuable. Do you say, no, I'm bored in the sessions. I don't, I haven't seen a change they've been in the same place for a long time. So, Hey, we can finish up our work together and say goodbye. Right. I can refer you out to someone that really works with your budget and your timeline. Right. Or we can continue to work together at this new fee and all three of these are appropriate outcomes. None of these things are abandonment. No, that's not abandonment. (laughs) And this is one of the pieces that I think therapists get stuck when they're raising their fee is the idea of, but if my fee doesn't work for this person, then I'm abandoning them. No, if you just shut the door one day and never return, and never a call. return. Oh yeah, never return a call. Like that's abandonment. If you just say, "Well, to tomorrow, here, you know, now or never," you got to fess up. Maybe that's abandonment. But giving people a period of time, thirty to sixty days, referrals, referrals. That's not abandonment. That's just good clinical care.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, I mean that's such a great point because that word abandonment i think that's such a trigger word for so many clinicians and it means so much right like i know even this is something i've you know to some degree still struggle with which is i hear that word like it's so much emotions wrapped up in it and it's hard for me to see things with clarity and yeah. i think what you guys are saying being able to take that step back and realize there are a lot of nuances mm-hmm. right to that that situation and but uh, I, yeah but we've seen it in facebook groups
2: Right. I re- I remember I used to love Facebook groups for therapists and I feel very ambivalent. The amount of like shaming that happens for people to like be making decisions and how dare you charge that much? It doesn't, you know, how dare you not take that insurance? Not realizing that like there's a whole world inside that Facebook group, a whole different financial situation, a whole different in Illinois, what insurances are reimbursing versus in Los Angeles, maybe like completely different and it may or may not be sustainable. So to take that step back and to say, Hey, I need to really look at what is really happening in my practice and maybe even have like a consultation group or have people in my life that I can trust. Who will help me to take the step back and say, "Well, what really is unethical care? If I'm creating a dynamic where I'm burnt out because I'm trying to see too many clients because I'm not charging a sustainable fee, and my client Friday at five gets a whole different clinician and level of care than my my Monday at nine a.m. client, like that's it's, unethical. That's not ethical, right? That's not okay. So, like, what do we do to to know that we're human? And to create dynamics where we can have the best outcome possible, and where we can identify a scenario where if we're not, we can refer out with confidence, knowing that someone else is going to come in, that we're not holding on to people because of our financial fears, that everything is in flow for the betterment of really truly the the client, because if we're not taken care of, the clients aren't either. yeah
0: um, so well said I wanted to ask you guys sort of a final question scenario. Mm-hmm. So we talked a lot about letters, right. And sort of Kelly, you really well articulated, like what to say. And even the thing I took from that was we don't need to share all of the background <laughs> sort of process around it. Right. But on the actual conversation with the client, right. There's a whole bunch of, I imagine for a lot of clinicians, a whole bunch of anxiety, a whole bunch of fears, right wondering if you guys could just briefly take us toward what are like the high points to hit and even like maybe even saying like a mock situation, like mock phrasing or anything like that would be so helpful.
1: I think one of the things to remember too, is owning your part, (laughs) owning your emotions about it is important for me because a lot of people come to therapy, having had their experiences dismissed or not validated. And so saying you know, I want to have a conversation with you about the fee and I'm feeling nervous. (laughs) It's okay to say that. Like, I want you to know, it's very important for me, for you to know that I really value this relationship. And I've thought a lot about talking to you about this. And it's, you know, just starting out with that, that kind of container of you are important to me. And I've given thought, you know, this isn't just some whim thing. And, I know that this can be uncomfortable to talk about as of X date, my fee is going up. Or sometimes it's people that just have not raised their fee in years with people and saying, you know, my fee has gone up over the years and I haven't raised it with you. And I think part of that has been my own avoidance of not wanting to upset you, like owning that part of the clinical piece to allow them to say like, and now I know like it is okay. I've realized like, I'm here for if you are upset, I'm here for whatever reaction you have. And then I think, you know, talking about the fees going to go up here and that, tell me what, what your thoughts are about that. How does that feel to hear that? And then also checking in with like, we have several options moving forward. Again, reiterating what's in the letter of we can continue, you know, at, or if you're finding, whoa, sometimes when something changes in a relationship, it helps us reevaluate the relationship. Maybe we need to reevaluate. How is therapy going? Are we working towards our goals? Is this really helpful to you? That's a normal part of this process. Or you may decide that you want to be referred out or terminate, and we can work through that too. But I'm giving us time to continue to have this conversation and lean into any kind of discomfort there may be.
0: Is there a window, like, I know you had mentioned it, but like, generally, like how early should you have the conversation? Like 30, 60, 90?
1: I like to give enough window to terminate or to refer out. I do think there are windows that could be too long. And like, I've seen those like three month windows be a little bit too long for people. So usually just that six week, four to six week kind of period, again, that's a privilege. Some people are in situations where they cannot, they're like, this is going to be happening in the next one to two weeks. And we have had clinicians like in boot camp who were really like their health was on the line and they needed to stop seeing clients. And so they had to raise their fee and refer a bunch of people out to get their caseload smaller so they could take care of things in their personal life. You know, so.
2: But I think this is the other piece, too. I want to remind we have all worked for agencies. And we all know there are times when in an agency we were leaving and there was two weeks notice and that was all that we were given to do closure and we were able to do that. And often we were not seeing the person two times during that time period. We've all had scenarios where our our job description changed and somebody said, hey, you're not going to be working with this client. You need to refer them out immediately. Sometimes for clinical reasons, we need to refer people out immediately. So I think that place of knowing that, again, this is a valid reason, as long as it goes back to what the clinical piece is, we're not, we're going to always go back to what is clinically really needed. And sometimes what is clinically needed is absolutely to say, hey, this is going to change as of next week. And so I know that this may not work for you. And that's okay. I've already put together a list of referrals and here's what I can do and how I can help to make that transition as seamless as possible. You know, that's
0: great. That's great. Kelly, Miranda, I'm just so thankful for you both always enjoy our, our time together. And I always feel like I end up taking a ton of notes as well. So thank you for that. Yeah. Where can we learn more about you and about bootcamp and the awesome work that you're doing in the world?
2: Yeah, you can go to zinnyme.com, Z-Y-N-N-Y-M-E.com and uh, check us out. You can click on bootcamp. You can also check out our podcast, Starting a Counseling Practice Podcast, where people share their amazing stories, kind of start to finish of of how they got to where they are now in private practice. And those can be really inspiring stories. So you can give us a listen there too.
0: Awesome. Thank you again, guys. And it was really, really great to connect with you again.
2: Thanks, Melvin.
0: Bye. Hi there. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kelly and Miranda, and especially if you are in a season where you are navigating increasing fees, or you anticipate doing that in the future. I hope that today's podcast conversation was just so helpful for you. As I was reflecting on this conversation, I you know I found myself just reflecting and taking notes because uh, I feel like every time I have a conversation with uh, Kelly and Miranda, and especially all, always also with all these podcast guests, I I do learn a lot of different things and. I wanted to share just a couple of things that I took away. So the one was the the use of the letter as a transitional object. Uh, I just never thought of it in that sort of phrasing. And I and I love the way Kelly like articulated that. I just thought that was such a good way of sharing. The other thing that really was resonated for me is separating our self-worth from sort of our business goals, right? I feel like, especially for many of us as helpers and healers, we usually start private practices. We usually start our businesses because we have a heart to serve a certain population or a certain presenting concern. And when that usually happens, I think it can be really hard, easy for our hearts to get wrapped up into the situation and our self-worth to get wrapped into that situation. And so just really learning to like separate out those two, I think that was just so helpful for me. And then I think the final thing that I was thinking a lot about was actually having that conversation and how there are things that you might be thinking about and processing, but those things don't, all of those things do not need to be processed with the client, right? There might be other spaces, i.e., your own therapists, friends, masterminds, all of those things where you can process those things. And then there's information that needs to be communicated and shared. And how do you sort of do that in a way that is, you know, just empowering, right? And yeah, just realizing like, you don't need to exactly share everything that is happening internally for you. And in fact, doing that can actually cause sometimes more distress and more confusion and all of those different things. Kelly and Miranda mentioned a number of resources and a number of tips. And I actually wrote all of that on the show notes page, which is actually connected to this podcast. So if you actually just have your phone or your tablet, or even if you're listening at your desktop, you just hit the description section for this particular episode, you'll see all of those notes, as well as some additional resources to guide your small business journey. launching an online course, you can check out that workshop over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course workshop. Again, that's sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course workshop. Have a great rest of your day and I will see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com. Hey there, thank you so much for tuning in to today's session. Just wanted to also let you know that we have a free email newsletter that goes out every week. You can download it over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash newsletter. Basically, uh, that newsletter contains some of the stuff that's happening behind the scenes with STC and also with my life and how I'm balancing and trying to balance uh, being both an entrepreneur as well as building a life around my family and my health as well. And it also contains the latest podcast episode and some of the stuff that I'm doing on LinkedIn, some of the strategies and things that are working for me. And then finally, a brand new section called On Mel's Mind, where I take a video or a book or a blog post or something like that, that's inspiring me for that week, and I share how I'm implementing it both in my life and in my business. Again, you can download that over at com forward slash newsletter, and if you are one of the 3,700 colleagues that have been a part of the email newsletter, I so appreciate you, and uh, I'm grateful for your support. We genuinely try to make these helpful, and uh and just based on the data and based on the feedback we're getting, it seems like we're doing a really good job. So appreciate you. And, uh, I hope that you have a great day.